1: no purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lumps sat alone in a boggy marsh. Totally motionless except for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas. She totally confused all the passing piranhas. She's love Hey
2: everybody. Today's guest is Chris Balou bassist and lead vocalist for Seattle, Washington, alt-rockers, the presidents of the United States of America. Together, we dissect the smash hit single, Lump, taken from their 1995 self-titled debut album. And man, what an interesting and quirky song this is. Chris mentioned that he doesn't really remember writing it, except for bits and pieces. And initially, he and the band considered it just another song in the bunch. The complexity and ambiguity of the lyric of this song, combined with the simple three-chord musical structure, is truly an awesome pairing. Chris credits producer Conrad Uno with keeping the sessions fun and spontaneous, which you can feel in the playfulness of this track. I told Chris that you really know that you've made it when Weird Al does a parody of your song, and he shared a few really amusing stories about that. And Chris also channeled inspiration from one of his favorite artists and talked about how that influenced the writing of Lump. For all this in a two-string bass guitar, don't you dare go anywhere. A podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Well, hey, Chris, how are
1: you? I am fantastic, Chris. Thank you for having me. Thank you for sitting. And where, uh, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from my home studio on Vashon Island, Washington. A little island uh, to the west. (laughs) I always have to look at the map in my mind. (laughs) A little island to the west of Seattle. Okay. Now, how do you get your car over there? By ferry or how does that work? I drive on the bottom of the uh, Puget Sound. That's amazing. Everybody has specialized cars. Yeah, there's a little little 20-minute ferry ride, which is delightful. I call it the cheapest boat I've ever owned. Because it's, you know, it's 21 bucks or whatever to get out on the water. So that's how I look at it.
2: Got you. I I see you're in your home studio there. I see all all your guitars behind you and a studio speaker. So very, very cool. Well, I want to let you know that the song we're going to be talking about today, Lump, uh, it was released the day Jerry Garcia died. I don't know if you know that. August 8th,
1: 1995. You just blew my mind. I had no idea that there was an Intersect my son will be interested to hear that. He's a big Grateful Dead fan, so I'll, <laughs> I'll have to bum him out
2: with that news. <laughs> I, I, and, and why do I know that Jerry Garcia died that day? Uh, no Effects has a song called August 8th is a Beautiful Day in regards to Jerry uh, Garcia passing.
1: Like But
2: I also know that I was in a Steak and Shake in Gainesville, Florida, eating lunch when I found out that he died. So on August 8th, 95, uh, I was in Steak and Shake and Lump premiered that day as a single. (laughs)
1: Let's just say that uh, Lump premiered the day you were in Steak and Shake perfect that's a more happy kind of association i think it it certainly is so if you can
2: take us back this is a really cool story uh how this all came together with your band you, you had recorded uh the first record uh by yourselves and released it on pop Llama, uh records of course it was then later picked up by columbia
1: so do you remember writing lump can you take us back well, it's an interesting story because the short answer is no. I don't remember writing the actual core hook of it. So back in the day, I was a you know cassette four tracker, and I had a little tiny you know micro cassette recorder that I had with me all the time. And I was as I am today, constantly recording little fragments. I'll pick up a guitar, play something. Ooh, that's groovy. Record it. Forget it. Whatever. Um, and then I make kind of a routine out of. Uh, playing those little clips while i do the dishes or clean my room or whatever headphones on mow the lawn i like that headphones on mow the lawn (laughs) it's a new lyric (laughs) see there i i would save that fragment so i was this was 1993 or four early 94 maybe I was cleaning my room, and I had a, that little tape deck on, and all these little fragments are going by. Now, usually, when the fragments go by, I'm like, "Oh, I remember where I was there," and I'm, you know, I can I can picture the scenario or the setting where I made the thing up. And then all of a sudden, this thing came on that caught my attention, and it was me going, "It's lump, it's lump, it's in my head." It wasn't a she yet, and uh, it piqued my attention, and that's kind of what I'm looking for. When I'm listening to these fragments, I'm looking for something to reach out and, you know, hook me literally mm-hmm. with a hook. Yeah. So it did. And I, but I, the immediate sensation I had was I have no idea when or in what context I made it up. I just don't remember the initial um, moment of creation, but I remember reacting. It was definitely my voice <laughs> on my little tape. Not like somebody stole my tape deck and made up a hit song and put it back. So yeah, I get I don't really remember writing. Well, I do remember thinking it's lump. It it the initial image I think I had was like of a, a lump in your head, like cancer or something, or a you know, a cyst. But I was like, that's kind of gross. Um, I'll I'll change it to she's lump. <laughs> and the moment I put the she in there, she's lump, this image, this weird, surreal, like trippy image came to mind of this overweight, middle-aged woman in a house coat with curlers in her hair and a cigarette, you know, and uh, if she were to speak, she would kind of sound like this, you know, uh, don't worry about it. Um, And she's sitting in a shallow river in the Amazon with all these uh, piranhas circling her and she's in the mud and she's just like this. (laughs) Everybody used to always ask, what's Lump about? It's exactly about what the lyrics are. It's just, there's, I don't know why I thought of that or what I was doing. Be what I loved about that song from the moment it kind of came together was musically I was really taking a cue from the Buzzcocks. I was super into that album The Collection of Singles that was their uh, their American debut, Singles Going Steady. And they had I can't remember which song it was, but there was a song on there that just it just starts as if it's already been going for five minutes or whatever. It's just like. And that was the idea with lump. It just went like lump sat alone in a bug, just kind of needle down, hit the hit the ground running. So I had the Buzzcocks in my mind musically and I had this bizarre, surreal image and smashing the two together like Salvador Dali type, you know, or John Waters meets Salvador Dali weirdness smashed in with this Buzzcocks pop thing was this exciting chemistry. And um, still to this day, it is one of my proudest moments. I mean, that song, this song, Lump, I was never, ever bored for one second performing it. You know, of all the songs we played thousands of times, every time we played this song, it was as if I was looking down at the set list and it was one of those new songs that I couldn't wait to play. (laughs) That is so cool. I haven't had anybody say that on the show.
2: And... Being in the band myself all these years, I I, I can relate to that. There's certain songs. Yeah. And of course, yeah, you launch into this too, and the audience goes completely, uh, you know, bananas for it. So that helps too.
1: That does help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's, yeah, it's just one of those songs I never got sick of. In fact, I still, even though the band is no more, and I'm just, you know, on my own now, I still grab a guitar and play it every once in a while, because it's so fun. I can have my own little president's reunion with nobody knowing. Yeah, yeah. Well, let me tell you, you know,
2: every decade has its thing. But the the 90s and, you know, the the 90s had the tag alternative to it. And alternative gave you credence to be weird. And (laughs) I think your band was at the perfect right time, middle, middle 90s. And this song just embodies that that era.
1: Yeah, it really does. It really does. It's a very weird sounding record. The whole record is just so bizarre sounding. I can't believe it had it got anywhere you know in the mainstream it's amazing can we talk a little bit before we get into the song
2: about yeah. your in- instrument that you refer to as the bass guitar which is essentially uh, a guitar that you've converted into a bass can you talk a little bit about I-, I see it yeah. behind you there
1: here it is this is the actual guitar that i played on lump on the record that is so cool it's still in play it and for those of you that can't see it's a weird old japanese guitar i learned later it's a kawaii it's got a mirrorized pick guard so we can get a little uh, feedback loop going in there in the video okay, okay. <laughs> um and yeah it's a, a mark sandman is the guy that showed me the two-string thing in fact that guitar right there although it's set up as a six-string behind me this red and white weird what mark called the squashed star is the original two string that he handed me in his studio. And I went, Whoa, that feels good. Um, He, a year before he died, he mailed it to me with no uh, warning or explanation, except a little note inside that said, you are in charge of this now. (laughs) (laughs) so um that that's the guitar I learned on and then this one I got in Boston for 75 bucks at a thrift store and that ended up being the one I played on that whole record so that is so wild and th- thank yeah. you for sharing that because when
2: we get into the song you know it's it's hard to discern what is actual guitars or or that instrument and I I'm, I'm trying to figure it out and when and we get into the song yeah. we'll, we'll we'll go over that but when yeah. I read about that I was like wow that is so so different and, and so neat kind of reminds me a little bit of the uh guitarist from local h who there was no bass player in that band and he he would like run separate signals like low-end high-end and he had a whole crazy setup and and you're the only other person that's really kind of kind of done that that I've uh, come across it's really really cool
1: yeah well splitting and going into two amps like that is a really cool idea there was a band we toured with called in the whale that did that it was two guys and they split it and they had a bass amp and a guitar amp and actually the presidents we did that once we were playing in Amsterdam and Dave got bronchitis And we were on a tour with, um, oh, who was it? Uh, Oh, Supergrass.
2: Oh, cool. And
1: yeah, and we were were actually opening, or I think we were co-headlining, like trading off. Anyway, Dave couldn't do the show. It's the Paradiso in Amsterdam, which is our like European home away from home. Oh, yeah. Um, And we didn't want to cancel the gig, so Jason and I, spent sound check figuring out which songs we could do without Dave. And we split my signal and put half into Dave's guitar amp and half into my bass amp. And we did the show as a two piece. So we did it once and it was super fun. It was kind of limiting. You know, we couldn't do every song, but, most of them. Wump, We certainly could do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that's awesome. Let Let's talk a little bit before we jump into the song. A little bit of uh, recording the record on your own. Uh, you self financed on Pop Lama Records. Uh, Conrad Uno produced the record uh, along with you guys, and you do this thing. And at what point did Columbia come knocking?
1: Well, we did the record with Conrad. We mixed it and everything, and you know released it with Pop Lama. And, um, it was a great experience. Conrad was a fantastic producer because he was mostly about feel He like the way I would react to my micro cassette fragments, you know, waiting for a hook. He was that kind of, you know, uh, entity in the studio where it, we knew if, if we got him smiling, he's a very cool guy, very like mellow, uh, you know, older dude with a beard and, and white, you know, uh, salt and pepper beard. And if we got him to, uh, uh, React. We're like, oh, look, Conrad's moving. That means something's <laughs> happening. You know. So it was kind of great to have his uh, sort of filter, quality filter, in there. That is awesome. I
2: I, I ran that by my drummer this morning, not to interrupt you, because we were we were yeah. talking about uh, doing this episode, and and he knows Conrad, and Conrad has went on to produce a bunch of my friends' bands, the Groovy Ghoulies, the Ergs. So uh, yeah, small world. But he kind of echoed some of the things you were saying. He's kind of a quirky, quirky guy, kind of quiet.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's a mellow. He, I love his uh, energy. It's just really centered, and and at the time we were so you know, whack-tastical and bouncing all over the place, having somebody like that in the middle of our uh, sort of, you know, wacky thunderstorm was was cool. So we did the record and then we played a show up at a college north of Seattle in Bellingham and the radio station, the college radio station was, they, they were on air over the speakers in between bands at this venue. And their music was popping along. And then one of our songs came on and all the, it was like really dull and kind of quiet. And we all looked at each other like, ooh, we gotta, we gotta remix this record. So when <clears throat> we had that in our minds already that it needed a little help when we signed with Columbia, which is a whole other story, crazy, you know, like we played one gig that unbeknownst to me was full of A&R people, cause we had kind of generated a little heat or whatever. Plus Seattle. Everyone was looking at Seattle for the next thing. Sure. Yeah. So it was like the most fertile ground we could have grown up in. And so the next day we had seven major label offers and we had to swim through all that. And we narrowed it down to Madonna's label in Columbia and we ended up with Columbia. That's a whole story. But um, yeah, the first thing we said is we really want to like remix this thing and remaster some songs uh, and you know, I think four of the tracks or five maybe had been recorded with Barrett Jones at the Laundry Room, who later became uh, Dave Grohl's partner in the Foo Fighters' first record. And who remixed the record for Columbia? Well, we rem—let's see. It was kind of kind of all over the place. We we redid some song. We remixed some songs at Robert Lang Studio, which. Uh, Dave Grohl describes eloquently in his latest book, which I listened to with my wife as we drove around. It's a bizarre studio in the center of a hillside covered, like interior spaces are all covered with marble. And it's very reverberant and, and just like paths through muddy tunnels. And it's very weird. So we, we remixed a bunch of stuff there. And I actually added a four string bass to Lump because we thought Lump would be a single. And the producer uh david Kahn was this guy helping us remix it and he oh, yeah. was like let's try a bass on that and that part in the middle of the album version uh the columbia version where uh, i think it's the third verse after the solo part there's a little bass figure that goes kind yeah. of walks down That was me just fucking around i didn't know they were in record oh cool <laughs> so i, love I did stuff that, like that and then yeah. they and then they finished we it. Fin- they finished the playback and i was like okay let me do it for real now and they're like you just did it
2: <laughs> that is great and i gotta say I, I i can't think of a another song that made better use of three chords than lump I mean, yeah. th- you want to talk about a simple idea, but man, what you did with it is incredible. And I want to hop into the song now. I- I'll tell you, usually it's the three and a half, four, four and a half minute songs I get on the show that are constructed so well that they sound shorter. They don't sound like you're listening to a 10 minute song. This is right. the opposite. This is only two minutes and 14 seconds, but it seems longer in a good way. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's dense.
2: <laughs> it's dense, but it's a full song. And I think a little bit of that goes back to what you were saying. You wanted to hit full throttle out of the gate. Yeah. The song's two minutes and 14 seconds. It opens up with the kick and the crash cymbal, and you're right into verse one. The drums are playing like this Motown-flavored beat with double snare hits.
0: I'm sad alone.
2: Lump sat alone in a boggy marsh, totally emotionless except for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas. She totally confused all the passing piranhas. And I love that because piranhas doesn't rhyme with pajamas. No, it
1: doesn't. It doesn't. But It's just like, oh, my God. I know. But it just flowed out. Um, Yeah. Like bananas might have worked. But I don't know about piranhas. I don't know. But well, again, I was just describing what I was seeing. It was more like uh, about <laughs> about describing than trying to look at the actual words and make sure they rhymed. I just was like, here it is. Here's what I see. So it was bizarre. Right. And and yeah. what's
2: go- what's going on here? My uh, the uh, second she, line, totally emotion, except for her heart. She's emotionless, except for her heart. That's an interesting line.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I guess if I were to try to, to pick it apart, totally emotionless. Meaning like, I think uh, her heart was functioning. (laughs) Like she was on, she was emotional on a functional level. Like she needed a heartbeat. She's so like lethargic that that's the only thing that was actually uh, working.
2: (laughs) So the, so the, the, the right and the left ventricle were working in her heart, okay. Yeah, exactly. And and now, uh, with these lyrics, I, I, they sound like they were stream of consciousness. Did you have them jotted yeah. down in a notebook or were you just kind of singing these over and over and didn't forget it?
1: No, I, I wrote it down in a notebook. I had a spiral bound notebook at the time, like a blue notebook where I wrote all my lyrics. And um, yeah, it, I just scribbled it down with a pen. I think it really just sort of came out more as a written poem, kind of like I wrote it with what I saw in my mind in mind. Lump sat alone in a boggy
2: marsh, totally motionless except for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas.
1: She's totally confused. All the passing piranhas. And then saying it, you know, I had kind of the melody and the cadence figured out. But I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, um, I don't think I riffed on it and worked it out. It just mm-hmm. sort of blah, just kind of poured out.
2: Well, you, you mentioned a moment ago, You know, 27 years later, you, you're not sick of the song. It's one of your proudest moments. You love to play it. Back then, okay, when you're demoing this and Conrad's hearing it and the rest of the guys in the band are hearing it, did you oh, think yeah. you had something special here? Was it just another track uh, in the bunch? You know, it was kind of another track in the
1: bunch. And in fact, live, it was kind of a dud because oh, we had really? these yeah we had these songs that were like bow weevil and they were groovy and then we had naked and famous which is like this kind of mock you know yeah. la rock and roll sound Ain't worth the trip. everybody wants to be naked and famous everybody wants to be just like me i'm naked everybody wants to be naked and famous everybody wants to be just like me i'm naked And uh, other songs that sounded like Kiss to me anyway. (laughs) Like a lot of the president's early days was me writing like, here's my Steve Miller song. Here's my Buzzcock (laughs) song. Here's my Kiss song. Here's my ACDC song. And so it was just one of those songs in the set. And yeah, like when we first played it live amid all the other songs, it just sort of felt elemental and kind of not groovy or special. And so, yeah, when by the time we got to remixing the record, it had been decided it would be a single and we'd make a video for it and all that. And I think, you know, the fact that there was a video for it and it was the sort of intro of the band to the world elevated it out of sort of ordinariness. I'm
2: assuming neither Conrad nor the band had ever said to you, what does this mean? Because again, you know, that question might've gotten asked in the seventies or eighties with an obscure lyric, but it was the nineties kind of anything went. Did, was everyone cool with it or did they, did they question the lyrical uh, content here?
1: No, nobody questioned the lyrical content. And they, uh, you know, Dave was good at questioning my lyrical content. There was a verse in Peaches, there was a line or two in Peaches that were too druggy, like, uh, uh-huh too much about psychedelics. And Dave's like, you got to find a more poetic way to express that. It's a little on the nose. Okay,
2: Chris, you just said it. I was going to say a little bit ago when you were talking about thinking of these lyrics. uh, Was this written sober or under the influence of anything that you recall?
1: (laughs) Sober. (laughs) Sober. Yeah. Which sometimes the craziest stuff is written sober, right? Well, wait a minute now. Wait a minute. I don't remember writing the core original (laughs) chorus riff. So maybe that was written drunk. You're put. I like I know how you're thought
2: of that. I like how you're pleading the fifth, and that is allowed here on Krista Makes a Podcast. Um, <laughs> okay. I got to tell you, not counting songs that start with the chorus, Chris. Not counting songs that start with the chorus. We're uh, almost two years into this podcast, weekly podcast. This is the fastest ever song that gets to the chorus in 14 seconds. We're already there. <laughs> 14 yeah, you know. Seconds. Don't- don't bore us, get to the chorus. Uh, there was no chance to even get bored here. Yeah. <laughs> 13 seconds to the 14 second mark, you're in chorus one.
1: Piranhas, she's lump, she's lump, she's in my head. She's lump, she's lump, she's lump, she might
2: be. Dead. Uh the lyric is she's lump, she's lump, she's in my
1: head. She's lump, she's lump, she's lump, she might be dead, yeah, she might be dead, and literally she's in my head, meaning I'm having this vision of this scene, and uh she might be dead, just another way to describe her absolute lethargy <laughs> just she she has no no motivation at all, you know, I'm realizing as you talk about this a little bit that at the time I was heavily into Salvador Dali, I just read his autobiography like twice. And it was like a a heady, psychedelic, sort of inspiring experience to dive into his world. And I think this is sort of my most, yeah, surrealistic attempt at songwriting. That's probably why I was letting the lyrics be so weird is that I was kind of treading around in Salvador Dali's waters, trying to see if I could do what he did visually with with words.
2: This is your obscure uh, musical painting and Dali's a trip. You ever been to the uh, Dali Museum in St. Petersburg, Florida? Twice. Yes. yes. I love that place. It's very, very cool. Well, in chorus one, um, I love the staccato guitars that are kinda of following. She's lumped, dun, dun, you know, that's happening. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And on the on the second line, she's in my head. Guitars and bass are in. Uh, and the guitars are off right. Uh or one yeah. guitar is off right with kind of like a fuzz tone, playing that guitar hook. Now, 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 now. what's happening in the left is that because i hear a bass up the center but is the left your 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 bass guitar too
1: i think the left is my two string the right is dave's three string and i think the extra bass we added we put right down the middle because that's kind of where you went with bass and kick and stuff like that in those days
2: that's what Um, i thought i thought the bass guitar was off to the left because it almost sounds like the guitar on the right is mixed louder but i don't think it is i think it's just a little fuller because it's a full guitar
1: yeah, yeah, and then don't forget about that. Mm-hmm. She's not, that was a little nod to Kurt Cobain. <laughs> it, I'll you know, tell like, you that rip- way. Hey! A little, little, little wink to Nirvana
2: there. Well, it's funny. I watch some live videos. I always go try to watch some live videos of, of, of the songs I preview on here. And uh, people sing that guitar hook in the chorus, the audience.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's,
2: <laughs> it's just one of those uh, hooks within the chorus. I love it.
1: It's also one of the things we could do with a two-string and three-string guitar. We could, you know twang and bend and anywhere on the neck and it and it worked because there weren't other strings getting in the way Move into the country I'm gonna eat
0: a lot of peaches Move into the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. hey everybody go get yourself a peach and get ready for part two of our episode with Chris Belew from the President of the United States of America after a few words from our sponsors okay round two name something that's not boring. Hey, Chris Makes a Podcast producer, Chris Fafalius here. You may have heard me talk about my band Punchline before. Maybe you already know us, or maybe you're hearing about us for the first time right now. It doesn't matter. No matter what your relationship with Punchline is, I will absolutely guarantee that you'll love our new podcast, A Band Called Punchline. Starting with our humble beginnings in a small town in southwestern Pennsylvania in 1997, We're telling the hilarious, strange, and hopefully inspiring story of the 25-plus years of our band in the most honest way possible, podcast style. A Band Called Punchline is an audio documentary available now wherever you get your pods. So subscribe and let me and my friends share a wild, entertaining, unique, and wonderful tale of music and perseverance unlike any other that's still being written today. And now, back to the show.
2: Now, I noticed on all the She's Lump lines, um, it sounds like the the vocal may be double-tracked there. Boy, I haven't listened to it for a while. (laughs) Yes. And on the first chorus, at least, I don't really hear a harmony there. It sounds like it's unison. It's almost like maybe a a, a thrown-in harmony on on, on one of the lumps, but it it definitely sounds double-tracked. And, of course, this record was uh, tracked analog. This wasn't uh, No Pro Tools or anything.
1: Yeah yeah 16 track uh reel to reel analog Um, wow yeah and then then it was then it was bounced from that 16 track to a 24 track truck then the 24 track truck drove to don robert lang and i think we dumped it again onto another machine so i think the whole the the songs out of the 13 i think nine of them were remixed that way and four of them were from the barrett jones laundry room session we couldn't Remixed them, but we EQ'd them, um, like Kitty and Bull Weevil, I think, and a couple others. Um, so, yeah, I think they went through several rounds of tape compression, uh, <laughs> which might have helped things.
2: Yeah. Well, I, the the last line on She Might Be Dead, you get that guitar hook again. and. Yeah. Then we're, you know, the wah, 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 what we're calling the Cobain part, which that part is. Now that you say it, it is so '90s, but so it perfect. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> you know. so perfect. Um, <laughs> it goes in straight into verse two. There's just you pedal to the metal. You're back in, and I love how this song builds. And I always say this to to the songs I have on here that were definitely recorded analog. There's nothing that is copied and pasted here. You know, and you can and you can feel that you know in this song as it's building. I love verse two because you get those killer harmonies in here that is is on every lyric in this verse.
1: Love lingered, last in line for brains,
2: and the one she
1: got was sorta rotten and insane. Small things so sad that birds could land. Is love fast asleep or rocking out with the band? She's not.
2: Lump lingered last in line for brains, and the one she got was sort of rotten and insane. Small things so sad that birds could land, is lump fast asleep or rocking out with the band.
1: Okay, well, okay, so, yeah, uh, what's the first line again? Do uh, it line by
2: l- maybe, okay, lump lingered last in line for brains, Is that the is yeah, that the right lyric?
1: I- yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I meant like, you know, people say like when they were handing out brains, they must have skipped you kind of thing. So it's like that. She was lingering last in line for brains. So she did she got kind of a withered, bad uh brain. Uh and the one she got, it was kind of rotten and insane because it was the last one that was given out that day. Um <laughs> 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 What's the third line? I third line read. is
2: "small things so sad." I'm Isn't sad. it weird oh, yeah. having
1: your lyrics read back to you? Well, I'm used to doing them sequentially, so it's yeah. hard for me to go. Okay, verse two, third line. What is that? I have to do it like you know, in in order. It would um, be hard
2: for me with my own songs too. I can relate. Uh, yeah, small yeah, things, yeah. small things, so sad that birds could land
1: meaning she's inert she's not moving she's so sad and small that birds can just land on her they they don't she's not going to scare any birds <laughs> it's a, it's a measure it's a degree of stillness that she is occupying <laughs> i would love to step into your mind sometime chris
2: it's either the most frightening or the most fascinating place or both maybe or both yeah yeah i think it's a balance. it's a teeter totter <laughs> The last line is, is lump fast asleep or rocking out with the band? And hey, band and land do rhyme here. That's a perfect rhyme scheme.
1: Oh, my God. Look at that. Um, Yeah, the idea there was uh, I was seeing her as this inert thing, but who knows, maybe like us, like a stroke or a coma victim, she could be having an (laughs) interior experience that's like she might be rocking out with the band in her mind. She might be like kicking it, whereas when what we see is just a lump of
2: human. (laughs) Well, uh, before we go any further I haven't made mention of this yet I do not want to forget it somehow before we end this episode But, uh, you know, you kind of made it when Weird Al parodies your song
1: Yeah. I, th- I actually haven't thought of that yet before I uh, just about when I signed on to do this this morning, I was like, oh, and we got to talk about Weird Out. Yeah. What was that like when you found out he was going to do your song? That had to be cool. It was amazing. I mean, you know, I grew up uh, basically glued to MTV in the 80s. Me, me I, I, was, I was watching when it came on and Video Killed the Radio Star was the first video and I had a good friend who I was playing music with. His his family had a projection, like a massive large-scale projection TV. So we watched MTV in like a theater setting every night. Um, and so Weird I was part of that landscape, you know, part of that, to me, seemingly unattainable world, um, along with other people that I would eventually meet and hang out with, like Madonna and Tom Petty and, you know, all these people. So, yeah, when he covered the song, it was a thrill. And he was me in the song, which is I like... Know. A, extra crazy thrill <laughs> and we got to become friends after that and so we're still friends to this day and he's a just a stellar human being and a, a really really great guy and just well
2: and 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 he ki- he killed it with your song because you know al he's pretty darn consistent he's had a couple of duds the red hot chili peppers tune he did i didn't think was great but man uh the, the gump was awesome
1: yeah, it was really, really well done. And the way he kicked hot, because I was kicking in the video, and he just out kicked he <laughs> me like crazy. <laughs> Foot way over his head. Um, and actually, he tells a story, and this is a weird testament to things I forget, like the core riff of this song on that yeah. tape deck. Apparently, and I don't have a memory of this, he debuted that record for me on our tour bus, I think. Um, just me and him. And he played it for me, and he had never debuted a video for the artist he was covering in person before. So I don't remember that because I was talking to him some one day about that uh, that era or something, and he's like, "Oh yeah, you remember? We were on your tour bus, and I played you the the Gump video." And I, he's like, "I was really nervous because I didn't know if you'd like it or you know what." And I have no memory of that. You think you would remember I, I, Weird Al? and you <laughs> alone in a tour bus looking at a video where he plays you for the first time but i don't remember it you, ah. you you might have been so enamored
2: by the whole thing that your adrenaline everything's up and it's just one of those moments that you, you blocked out because it was
1: so yeah. so surreal maybe it fried my mind yeah i don't know um it would have fried it, my it, mind it does make me wonder what else i'm forgetting. That's <laughs>
2: <laughs> well i'll tell you i i love verse two not just for the harmonies which the harmonies are great i mentioned that before in in yes, this verse I,
1: I think dave dave uh had a patented way of throwing in some low harmonies and i think that's what's going on there uh Uh, yeah they're
2: they're not your typical third harmony that you would hear it's it's uh it's almost got this eerie eerie tone to it yeah The the guitars here are all the way through verse two unlike verse one which was just the vocal and the drums
1: and that that i gotta say that was conrad uno's idea originally the song started with music just like the buzzcocks vibe that i was trying to do yeah and conrad was like what if we mute the guitars and we all went yes
2: That is great. And that's kind of what I was going to ask you right now was the song and you kind of just uh, answered part of that question. Was the song pretty much kind of uh, what your vision was on the demo at this point? Or how many changes up to uh, at least, uh, you know, through verse two, chorus two, uh, was, was there changing?
1: Uh, well, from the demo phase, uh, uh it changed quite a bit, just tempo wise. And, you know, because the original was more like Lump sat Alone in a Bug. It was kind of this weird, chuggy, groovy thing. Lump sat Alone in a boggy Marsh, totally motionless, itself for her heart. Mud flowed up into Lump's pajamas. She totally she's lump she's lump she's in my head she's lump she's lump she's lump she might be dead
2: and i think that's the demo that i that i listened to on youtube last night right which which real quick We got to talk about at the 115 mark in that song. My producer Chris thought it sounds like a pitched kazoo there. It's the coolest sound. What is that?
1: That is a Radio Shack. Keyboard, a tiny little (laughs) realistic keyboard that had the greatest sounds, just weird, pointy, compressy, vibrating sounds on it. I love that thing. I demoed with it all. And that drum machine in there is the Radio Shack keyboard, too. It's. Uh, I don't
2: know if it was needed. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, history is what it is with this song. It was a huge hit. It, it wasn't needed, but I loved that. It's such a crazy... I had never heard... I, I kept rewinding and go, what is that?
1: Well, that's why in the uh, studio version with the presidents, I'm going... Because ba, 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 I was imitating that little realistic yes. uh, Radio Shack keyboard doing that... <laughs> so yeah yeah i ended up smashing that keyboard live uh so it's long gone really I mean, out of frustration or just part of the show or just both? to just to just like to be anti-keyboard <laughs> 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 it was a little thing where I like I think I did a gag where I kind of brought it out like I'm gonna take a keyboard solo and just went ah keyboards <laughs>
2: and just like smashed it. And that was that, that was the end of that. Well, I'll tell you, chorus two hits at the 41 second mark. Most songs don't get to the chorus till about the minute point. So we already got two choruses in before a minute.
1: <laughs> With the band. She's love, she's love, she's in my head. She's love, she's love, she's love, she might be dead.
2: Same lyrics here. Was there any talk with Conrad uh, or or yourself in the studio of maybe we should put a little more information here? Or was the chorus the same uh, chorus too?
1: No, that never occurred to us. I think it was a case of there's so much weird information in the verses. We We need an anchor like a place people can go where they're like, Oh, I know what ha- I know what happens here.
2: <laughs> I've said that before on the show. When you get very deep lyrics or obscure lyrics where there's a lot of information in the verses and the bridge, you want to pull back on the choruses and let them just be a hit you over the head type thing. And yeah, I yeah, think, yeah. I think that's I perfect mean, here.
1: I always think of Free Fallen by Tom Petty. Like he didn't come up with another way to say free fallen. He just said free fallen over and over. And that was I mean, that's what makes that song great, because you can immediately grab onto it, first listen, and be singing along as you drive down the road or whatever.
2: Yeah, so. you could play it to a stadium of 60,000 people who never heard it, and by the second chorus, they're singing it. It's totally. so so yeah. good. Uh, the last line here, she might be dead, you give out like a spirited like, oh yeah, and it goes into this 16 bar bridge, and that's where the ba, 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 <laughs> I wrote down here, ba-na-na-na. Na, na. <laughs> comes in (laughs) Um, and the uh, the first four bars there's this cool swirling guitar that's panned off to the right By the fifth bar, the ba-ba's are happening again, but that guitar is slowly moving. I feel it in the center, and then it goes to the left. It's kind of swirling around there. Really? Yeah. Wow.
1: I don't think I've ever noticed that. <laughs>
2: yeah. And I don't know if that was a mixed thing or if I'm hearing pre delays or delays or something circling in the headphones. It was a really neat effect. Um, huh. When we get to the the ninth bar, there's that other vocal. The, the babas are still there, but there's this ooh that you're doing. At first, I oh, thought yeah. it was a guitar, but those are vocals under there, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, the idea was it was a big vocal break kind of thing that again was trying to imitate that little keyboard. Also, back in the day uh when we made that record, we used to track vocals, lead and back of vocals at the same time together in the studio. So we'd had a lot of like randomness and like, you know, uh doing stuff to make each other laugh or it was energy. You know, later we would do like, okay, time to do the lead vocal, go in there alone and do it and then we'll do the beat back of vocals one at a time and we got more surgical with it and we really missed uh I really missed that uh energy without I didn't realize how essential that was. So a lot of that what's going on in this ooh ooh part, this you know, breakdown is like us goofing off. <laughs> it sounds if I could uh give
2: it one adjective, it sounds spontaneous, one word. Oh yeah, it was very spontaneous. We really didn't have a plan. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I love here between the ninth and the 12th bar here of the bridge about three quarters through the na na na's on the very on on the bars that you're doing the very end of it The melody changes there on the back half. Just that one time. Recall things like that. Was that just you kind of riffing in the booth, or or was that someone like Conrad uh, pushing the talk back going, "Hey, maybe change it up on the on the third time here."
1: No, I think we again because we were live doing it live. We were just changing it up to stay interested or to just throw each other curveballs, you know. Like so, yeah, it was really just intuitive, you know. Yeah, no, <laughs> it was it's, a, a lot of uh, gut feeling rather than uh, it, at least in that part of that song, definitely kind of like you know what makes us smile. <laughs> yeah,
2: then it's 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 really interesting. And then at the very end of the bridge, you get a ba bow. But then you stop singing, and this very cool guitar counter melody happens mm. off uh, off to the right. And then the band breaks down by themselves with just this kind of Tom Phil drum breakdown. And then you're into verse three. another verse where you're getting hit with all this again uh crazy imagery and i'm gonna uh i'm gonna read this and have you uh talk about these lump was limp and lonely and needed a shove lump slipped on a kiss and tumbled into love she spent her 20s between the sheets and life limped along at subsonic speeds (laughs) I love it. <laughs> so
1: do I. It's awesome. But I mean, what, she, she, she,
2: sheets and speeds don't really rhyme. But hey, it's better than hey, the first hey. verse. Pajamas,
1: piranhas, sheets, speed, and what
2: <laughs> Who's keeping yeah. track? I'll tell you something else about this verse that that uh, that interests me where the harmonies are placed and were these worked out. Do you recall? Because again, verse two harmonies on everything here on the first line, it was just needed to shove on the second line tumbled into love. No harmonies on the third line. And then the fourth line, you don't get it on the end, but you get life limped along at subsonic speeds with a harmony. Do you recall how those came into play?
1: Uh, I think that was me. And now that you think about now that I think about it with the harmony, I think maybe it was me with a lead. And then Dave and I went in together and did harmonies on the verses again like on not the same mic but in the same room and so i think there's a kind of a combo of me doing a high harmony and dave i'm sure going low low doing like a low kind of weird harmony was kind of his specialty yeah it's very cool and
2: the the reason i ask a lot of times i'll have people on here that say oh there was harmonies on the whole thing but when it got mixed they, a couple of them got muted because they weren't needed or it kept oh. it interesting, you know?
1: Yeah, no, no, we were just self-muting. <laughs> <laughs> you were That's editing point. yourselves as you went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was really, yeah, it was really about trying to capture, our big um, strength was being a live band and making records was always a uh, puzzle to us. Like, how do we translate that? And I think, in again, in the early days here, we just did that by doing as much as we could live, Mm-hmm. to crack each other up and you know make it feel
2: alive i'd rather do it that way my, my band's the same way we were always a live band and it was like okay we got to figure out how to record ourselves i couldn't imagine being the other way where you get this great sounding records like okay now we have to go replicate this
1: you know that's yeah. that, that that to me would be a little bit harder that's what uh stopped the beatles from performing you know they they took the uh kind of like said they played their last show and then they made sergeant peppers and they're like well that's I mean that's the nail in the coffin because we can't play this live. So of course right. they could have. Yeah, I mean they well, the Beatles get an orchestra.
2: Get a, you know. Uh, less than a decade later, Queen and uh, ELO are doing it with backing tapes. But who knew then? You know, right? Exactly. But uh, uh, Chorus three, same lyrics again. Please, she's loved.
1: She's loved. She's in my head. She's loved. She's loved. She's loved. She might be dead.
2: On this chorus, harmonies are in the same place. I like on the third line, and you get these if you really listen closely to chorus one and chorus two, you're hearing these little guitar things in the right and left. But there's a cool guitar slide on the third line here, happens off Uh in the right. And it just, again, it adds that push and pull, that realness. You know that you know this wasn't copied and pasted. It sounds like a live band.
1: Yeah. Dave wasn't afraid to. Dave was great because he's a very like accomplished articulate kind of twangy soloist and rhythm guitarist but then he's not afraid to just slash and burn randomly you know like <laughs> he's not afraid to just light it all on fire for a minute uh, and kind of abandon his his uh precision for um you know incendiary moments which i really liked the parts are great and i'll tell you ya-
2: I love the outro, and again, the song's two minutes and fourteen seconds. You, you, the chorus is never doubled. Was that ever a discussion? We should double the last chorus, or or no?
1: No. Again, it was like that was part of what we liked about this song. Is it was again like dense and and short and jam packed, and yeah, it wasn't anywhere near like a groove, like say feather plucking or bow weevil things that we would stretch out live and kind yeah. of on. We're just like let's just make this as you know like a dense pound cake <laughs> that's awesome well the outro we're back to the bridge
2: progression here essentially yeah. you know which is so cool to end on the bridge progression the lyric here is is this lump out of my head i think so is this lump out of my head i think so is this lump out of my head i think so is this lump
1: out of my head
2: question mark you're leaving the you're leaving the listeners with a question
1: i know which of course we changed later to uh and that's all i have to say about that because that's how weird al ended the gump And that stuck. And we did that for all all the years after we did. And that's all I have to say about that. That's great. (laughs) That is
2: that is great. Well, here on the is this lump out of my head in the outro, it really sounds like double vocals unison there. I can really hear it at the end. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all uh, us just hard charging toward the finish line. Yeah, and it kind of it kind of lifts this last part up uh, on the second. I think so. You get a yeah with a with a woo
1: that uh, just, yeah, the yeah, just a the woo.
2: It's a it's a party which, woo,
1: which I kept doing too. I that yeah and woo became solidified. Yeah, woo. I did it live every time. <laughs> It's a rare, uh, rare case of like an impromptu enthusiasm becoming like part of the song. <laughs>
2: I, I think it has to be there. Again, we're talking about those little hooks, you know, the yeah, guitar, sure, that guitar sure. thing in the chorus. If it wasn't there, it wouldn't be the same song, you know. Yeah. Um, on the third, I think so. The melody slightly changes on think so. Is out of my head? I think so. Just a slight change there
1: on the melody from the other times. And it, it's really, really cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, just just being in the moment, being goofy and and really like being goofy for each other, not being goofy in a vacuum.
2: Well, you know, adding to the what you're calling dense and just no fat on this song at all. Uh, on the last is this lump out of my head. The band goes dun, dun, dun. And yeah, it's, it's over. There's no ringing out guitars, no cymbals decaying. It's just done.
1: Yeah. Sometimes, you know, like especially lately, for some reason, I have a pet peeve a little bit about uh, lingering tails on songs like just Mm -hmm. okay just be done you know like i don't need like 34 seconds of a bubbling synthesizer and a guitar (laughs) being back (laughs) either do i chris i'll give you that yeah yeah yeah. yeah.
2: so what was it like hearing the mixes back getting you know and and this was still on, on on pop llama at this point you're hearing the mixes back for peaches and lump where did lump sit at that point
1: uh, it was pretty much decided it would be a single uh close to yeah like I think peaches and lump definitely uh, stood out as the first two singles yeah you know, i don't I don't recall really the selection thought process or who was involved in that i think at some point once we got with Columbia and decided to remix the record that some of their brain power was applied to which would be the single. And and we were willing to just be like, yeah, whatever. I mean, any of them. We'll do any of them. <laughs> right. Then of course radio picked up.
2: MTV was jamming this every hour yeah. on the hour. What was that like, Chris?
1: It was amazing. Again, you know, like to later have uh cross paths with Weird Al was surreal. But to be on MTV, the, you know, the channel that I was completely glued to in the 80s, uh, was yeah, it was phenomenal. It was really heady. But it also was kind of disorienting in a disturbing way because I immediately, while I had this feeling of like validation and uh, acceptance and this rush and thrill of reaching so many people, I simultaneously had this disorienting feeling of instability. Like immediately after the rush, you go, oh my God, I've got to do this again. And I've got to do it again. It was almost like metaphorically, I was led into a special room that I always wanted to get into. And the moment I got into that room, I went, oh, I'm in the room. And then I noticed there's a door and there's another room inside that room. And then I knew that that door led to another room with another room inside that room and another room inside the room. And the rooms metaphorically are proving yourself like you. It was going to be this long slog of proving and maintaining this stature of uh, of relevance. And I just didn't want, I didn't want it. I thought immediately this is going to crush my creativity. It's going to crush my life. It's going to take me away from the people I love and my family. And, you know, I actually, as I remember it, pitched the band on breaking up. Let's pull a sex pistols. Let's just freeze ourselves in this perfect state and move on. Because to me, the presidents were like another in a series of weird band experiments that I was doing. It was just another one. Um, And it happened to be at the right place at the right time culturally and and sonically and all that but i was perfectly happy to just like move on <laughs> and, yeah and keep experimenting anyway it it goes a lot deeper than that that's a whole story but um that's what it was like it was like thrilling and and terrifying
2: <laughs> yeah and and thank you for sharing that it's a very honest human uh, uh, assessment with your feelings that's that's really cool and i gotta tell you chris what a song man
1: congratulations it, it's so good it's such Thank you, a good song. Thank you. I'm like I said. I think I'm the most proud of it because it really, it had that that duality of being viscerally uh, appealing and totally abstract and confusing. Yeah, that that chemistry was so elusive. That was. I mean, that's another reason I got spooked out about continuing because the chemistry that allowed me to kind of make those songs was so specific to where I was in my life at that time. I'm a happy-go-lucky guy. I was having some dark times before that, and I moved back to Seattle from the East Coast, and the mixture of kind of darkness and lightness made the president's work because we weren't just goofy. I mean, we had, like, some pathos in there, oh, some, yeah. some, some actual shit going on, but the goofy foot was the foot we put forward because I always felt like you need to open the door for people and invite them in, and then you can maybe kind of, you know, get them with a... a Riff heavy hammer, and then you can soothe them with some subtle velvet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a lyric.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think you've come across a, a maybe a half album's worth of lyrics here in this episode. That's I know. great. <laughs> well, hey man, this this was a lot of fun and uh if you'd like to leave the listeners of what you have going on, I know that uh you just released your uh second solo record, uh Soul Unf- Unfolded in January of 2022. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Well, it's kind of the opposite of uh, the precedence in a lot of ways. It's very much uh, you know, a recording project. I'm not doing it live or anything. It's a uh, groovy, fuzzy, repetitive, psychedelic, uh, inspired by bands like Loop, Spaceman Three, um, Moon Duo, uh, Wooden Ships, kind of like a psychedelic, repetitive, funky stew. Uh, lyrically, it's all about consciousness and existence and uh, quantum physics and space and all that stuff. Um, and it's really fun. And I'm just doing it for, I'm really kind of considering myself retired now, and I'm just doing it as a hobby. I tell myself every day, nobody cares. I'm just making chairs. (laughs) Well, I care, Chris. And thank you. Thank you for being on on the podcast. It means a lot. Okay, cool. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: There's lots more Chris to make a podcast after a few words from our sponsors
2: Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for Chris Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is email your song via MP3 only and bio to Band You Might Not Know at gmail.com. This week's featured artist is Casual Fantastic out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The band consists of Josh McIlvin on vocals and guitar, Nick Menotiates on drums and backing vocals, and Paul Menotiates on bass. Here's a snippet of their song. Goodbye, goodbye.
0: Change your way. Change your way. Will you ever change your way?
2: The Rap with Chris and Chris.
0: Chris, I think it's pretty safe to say that that is going to be a lot of people's favorite episode ever of Chris to Makes a Podcast.
2: I would tend to agree, man. Chris
0: was awesome. I thought he was really funny, really nice, and it's really inspiring to me that an artist, a band could have such an absolute blast making a song and then that song can become a hit song. And Chris, my question to you is could that still happen now or could that only happen in the mid 90s
2: <laughs> i think it can happen now of course the the mid 90s was a time of reckless abandon and maybe things happened a little more like this frequently uh, back then but yeah
0: i think it, i think it could still happen Uh, I thought that was one of the cooler stories about the meaning of a song we've ever got before. I love that he referenced Salvador Dali several times. That's my favorite artist. I thought it was cool that one form of art could inspire a completely different form of art. I don't think we've ever had someone on here say like, oh, this particular painter uh, (laughs) gave me this idea of a vision in my head. And then I just basically described what I was seeing in my head, dude. So awesome!
2: Yeah, and you know, a lot of times artists will—I don't know—the word is disown, but uh, you know, kind of look down on their big hit. It was a, a novelty for their band or something they wouldn't normally do. But uh, talk about embracing it! He's so like—he he could still say honestly, "This is like the f- best thing I ever did. My, my most favorite thing I ever did."
0: I mean, it probably helps that the song is awesome, and you and I both talk to each other about this. In the 90s, we were very into punk rock. And if something was mainstream, you kind of, like, turned your nose up at it. Dude, this song rocks so much harder than so much stuff that I listen to. <laughs> and and you told him this, like, after mics were turned off, too. And I, I 100% agree that this this band's amazing. This is so good. It's so fun. It makes you feel good. And could you imagine... Playing this live, how fun that would be! Oh yeah, it's
2: like I said in the episode. I think it's the one of the best use of three chords in any song. It's so the idea is so simple, but yet the the lyric is so abstract, and how it meshes together is just it's unreal. And the fact that he just he just. Matter of fact about it, like, I don't
0: really remember even writing it. It's just kind of one of those things that just kind of happened. Dude, how cool is it? He's the first person I heard say this and makes me want to... I guess I do this in a way, but not how he said it, that he would just record things and, you know, not necessarily even remember, but listen to them back while he's cutting the grass, while he's doing chores. And then if that thing he recorded... I don't know, inspired him, then he would take it further. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like you're creating your own playlist (laughs) and then you're listening to it and it's like, what is sticking with me of what I recorded before? I mean, we have our own ways of doing that, listening back to old demos, but he's doing this, Back in the 90s, I'm sure he's doing it on a a, a pocket recorder or something. It's
2: such an interesting way to consolidate ideas. And I have like 500 voice memos of ideas on my phone. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go out and mow the yard later, Chris, and and listen to it and see what bubbles to the surface.
0: Yeah, I love that. And uh, this is something very specific from this episode that I wanted to talk about. You were talking about pajamas and piranhas, (laughs) not rhyming. But dude, I say pajamas. Pajamas. Am I saying Am I saying that word wrong? Am I saying it because I'm from Pittsburgh? Do we say pajamas? I've always said pajamas. Um, did, did, which did, would kind of did rhyme. Did Chris say pajamas? <laughs> well, you said pajamas. Does he say pajamas gotta... or jamas in the song? <laughs> Actually, I don't know. I didn't listen back to it now. Because uh, when you said that, I'm like, well, I say pajamas, and pajamas and piranhas kind of rhyme. What's we, that called? It's not an exact rhyme. Isn't there a word yeah, for it's that? A, like it's, it's, a, all... it's
2: a soft rhyme, but we need to debate this in our Facebook group. Yeah, okay. Jammies or well, Jammies?
0: I, mean, I mean, as soon as we listen to it, we're going to see okay, you, how Chris you, said the, it.
2: The short version, do you call them Jammies
0: or Jammies? Well, I'm not, I don't say either of those, but if I had to, I'd say Jammies. Well, I have, I guess I have p- kids, so I call them Jammies. Okay, pajama Jammy Jam. You'd have a pajama Jammy Jam in the 90s if you were hanging out with like kid and play or something. <laughs> oh, you managed to spare a little time to come up with a plan? Not any plan, man. The plan of plans, man. You know what I'm saying? Yo, think about it. A house party. Oh, house party? Yo, man, not just any house party, the mother of house parties, man. A pajama jammy jam. Hey, I got I got I gotta
2: say something before I forget. Can you believe for the life of you, Chris Cefalius, could you imagine being on your tour bus and Weird Al premieres the Gump video and you don't remember him doing that?
0: Yeah, that that's crazy, but I think <laughs> you're right. I think that may have been just too overwhelming to every set like so surreal. Sensory overload. Yeah, it's it's just an overload. But that is the coolest story. And like you said, Chris, not only did he parody the song, but it's a it's a song that they Weird Al did a music video for and in the music video Weird Al is Chris uh, and I love he was referencing like I just watched that video last night the kicks Weird Al's doing <laughs> like kicking above his head yeah. it's actually impressive <laughs> but uh, so good So
2: good. yeah and, and he even said it how surreal it was growing up as an MTV kid in the 80s like I was and just now you're on MTV and then Weird Al is on MTV with your song playing you I mean that he that's what a trip so cool.
0: He referenced the what he called the seemingly unattainable world of MTV. Yeah, which yeah, it seemed like a magical place. And in certain ways, Chris, I know that you've had music videos on 120 minutes before, mm-hmm. so so your music has been on on MTV. I've you know my band has they've used our songs on like the background of like the real world and stuff before. So in one way or another, we, we've got to experience that it, at a certain level of like this thing that seemed like so magical and, and unattainable then your your music is on it and it's like whoa but he got to experience it to such a crazy level like yeah that Lump and Peaches those songs those music videos were on so much at that time and then to have that extra added layer of a parody of your song mm-hmm. wow yeah no and and just
2: uh, his instrument the, the the bass guitar you know just yeah. so so unique and, and and so cool but uh yeah, you know, to, going back to what you were talking about earlier, about being too cool for school in the 90s, being too punk rock, um, I, I certainly was aware of this band, but I can honestly say I'm a fan now, and their catalog is, oh. there's so many good songs, I, I feel they were ahead of their time, and uh, Lump is such a cool song, and could you imagine this song, if you were to punk it out, not, not, not like make a double time or anything, but just like big, you know, bring big guitars in and do it, this song is so heavy.
0: I seriously want to cover this song in one of my bands now. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just constantly thinking about how fun that would be to play. And also, the fact that it just goes. Yeah. Like, you start and you're in verse one. I can imagine if you're, you know, playing a show and you just broke into this, that everyone would lose their minds. Yeah. You don't think. I don't know. For some reason, I never thought about covering the song, but now I really want to.
2: Yeah, that was a good point that Chris made. It's like he, the whole idea behind the song was I want to just punch it and go 100 miles an hour. And that's what this song does. Two minutes and 14 seconds. And, uh, you know, I'm keeping track here, Chris. I don't know if we're going to find a song. If it doesn't start <laughs> with the
0: chorus, it's going to get to a chorus right. faster than Lump. Dude. That was so funny. He once again he laughed when he said that. He laughed when he told him the song was released on the day that Jerry Garcia died. Good, good research on that, man. No, I, I I didn't have, didn't have
2: to research. I'll always remember August eighth for the No Effects song about Jerry Garcia. Uh, Yeah. And uh, I saw that day. I was like, ah, that's really interesting. It was the single was released uh, on Jerry Garcia's. uh, death anniversary so but uh, man and he also talked about uh that keyboard from radio shack that i thought was really cool oh, yeah. in, in, in the demo because i could not figure out if the life and called you last time go what
0: is yeah. this <laughs> my guess was a pitched down kazoo. that's what I, I said i told him <laughs> yeah yeah and and i wouldn't have been surprised if that's what it was <laughs> this is this man is so unique and original and they'd be you know the last band on earth to uh, turn their noses up at doing something like that on a song, I think. You know, you, know, you guys didn't even get into uh, Chris has put out 19 albums for toddlers uh, with a project called Casper Baby Pants, which you got to go check it out. Just search it on YouTube. You're going to see all these animated videos for kids that have millions of views uh, and rightfully so, because I don't know. I am I don't have kids, Chris, but you do. Well, I listened to the Casper Baby Pants songs, and they're they're great. Yeah, and talk
2: about a lot of content. 19 albums, full lengths he put out with that project. So this guy is prolific, and uh, what uh, what an awesome attitude he has. That's the one thing I took away from this episode. He was just so cheerful to be talking about his band still and so appreciative, and that was very refreshing.
0: Man, yeah, that was great. I had a lot of fun. I hope if you had a lot of fun listening that you'll go leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to the podcast. Bang! That was good, Chris. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I'm just being honest here. If you if you have fun, we're going to keep trying to bring the fun episodes, the emotional episodes, the interesting episodes, the informative episodes. We're going to do whatever you can. I know everyone who listens has, like, a laundry list of 100 guests they want us to get. Well, you know how we're going to get them is if more people know about the show, and that's an easy way that you can help us spread the word is to leave us a review wherever. And even more importantly, you can send a friend a text message and say, like, hey, check out this episode of this podcast. I think you'll like it. That is, that is grassroots right there.
2: That'd be very helpful. And if you haven't already, join our Facebook group, the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. We'd love to have you in there and be a part of it. And uh, please give me a follow on Instagram, at less than Chris D. I want to thank this week's guest, Chris Ballou, from the Presidents of the United States
0: of America, for sitting in with us. And we'll see you next week. Hey, Chris Ophalius here. You know, the producer of the podcast that you're listening to right now. Did you know that I also host a music podcast? It's called One Hit Thunder, and it's a weekly show all about one hit wonders. We have great guests, and we discuss one one hit wonder artist each week. Some of the songs are great. Some of them are terrible. But either way, the show is always pretty freaking good. I know, I'm biased because I host it. But seriously, go subscribe to One Hit Thunder right now. I promise you'll like it
2: in that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play
1: for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
0: Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a
2: little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all.
0: <laughs> and my name's Bob. Um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a uh, niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate.
2: Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life, uh, and then condense them down to
0: an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot. And listen to Axe Grind Podcast.